Welcome to the Tavern Cast Network. Tonight, Hagrid, Hallows, Hermione, Horcruxes, and Harry Potter. We review the first part of the last part of the final part in the Magical Wizarding Saga. The theater is open. Let's go to the movies. I'll get you, my pretty... Take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. I am the father. Humans and dogs and cats, living together, mass I feel the need, the need... Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. Now don't call me Shrug. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. I'll be back. Fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be a bumpy night. Welcome to the screen. Welcome to the first row. Settle in, grab your popcorn, and kick your feet up on the rail. This is TavernCast The Screen for the weekend of November 20th, 2010. The show that's all about new movie reviews and the love of film past, present, and future. I'm your host, Jennifer Albrecht. And I'm Bryce Irwin. And welcome to our special guest from the House of Gryffindor, Claire Timko. Hi, Claire. Hey, guys. (laughs) Dog movies with us. Call the show in the USA, 734-418-7077 is the number. Internationally catch us on Skype, username TavernCast, or just send us a short MP3 recording to TavernCast at TavernCast.com. Find information, archived episodes, and show forums for every show in the TavernCast network at www.TavernCast.com. the ministry. You have nothing to fear if you have nothing to hide. The longer we stay here, the stronger he gets. I must be the one to kill Harry Potter. We need to get off the streets, get somewhere safe. Let's say we get undercover before someone murders him. That way they won't know which Harry Potter is the real one. He's after you, Mr. Potter. Tell me where he is. You really don't stand a chance. We got him! Help me! So as you can hear, tonight is the long-awaited... Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, Part 1. Whoa. It's been directed by David Yates. David Yates was the director of both The Order of the Phoenix and The Half-Blood Prince. He's been the director that's done the last, well, he'll do the last three or three plus one, if you include the second part of this movie we're reviewing tonight. So last four movies of the saga is all done by David Yates. Um, stars Daniel Radcliffe. Emma Watson and Rupert Grint and a cast of a bazillion eminent British actors and actresses. Actually, I think the Harry Potter series, for my money, I think even better than the Lord of the Rings saga, has more good actors in it than almost any other saga I can 
Well, no, than any other saga. Can you guys name even one that's got a better acting cast than the Harry Potter movies? No, not one. I mean, like, these are, like, really good, classically trained, some Shakespearean-trained actors, most of these people. not The kids notwithstanding, but the kids have grown up to be very fine actors, too, so... Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, what's it about? Main synopsis of Part 1, uh, basically, Harry, Ron, and Hermione uh, set out to find the remaining Horcruxes to defeat Voldemort. Sounds good. So, this movie is not really for people who have never seen a Harry Potter movie. <laughs> no. If you're coming into this dry and have never seen it, you're pretty much screwed. Because this movie starts totally. right off the bat mm-hmm. with, with stuff that has, you know, you're going to be lost. There's no backstory, no, no uh, yeah, intro this, scene. This one's nothing. not standalone. Well, honest, I would, I would add that in addition to having never seen the previous movies before, if you hadn't read the book, you would be equally as lost because, once again, they chopped out tons of the book. See, I've heard people actually review this, though, and say that they thought that this one was closer in the spirit to the books than almost any of the other ones have been. I, no, I disagree. I think the first movie was the closest to the book, and it's just slowly, progressively gotten less and less and less away. So this one actually had less in it than, say, like the last one, where the Half-Blood Prince, where everybody was just screaming about? Uh, I, I would say it's equal. Wow. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Is it David Yates's fault, or I'm, who's, honestly, is that the I'm, size of the books? Oh, honestly, I'm starting to blame David Yates, because really? Chris Columbus didn't have any trouble. Huh. And that movie, well, the first movie, too, was like a, it seemed to me like it was like a three and a half hour long movie. Well, I think they all should be three and a half hours long. I think, well, I think, I've long thought this about the Harry Potter series. I've never read the books, too. I should get that out of the way. I read about half of the first one and ran out of time, couldn't read it anymore. Plan to read them again after the whole series is done, because obviously there's things in there that I'm interested in and that I'm not seeing. Like, for example, um, Nymphadora. I, who is this chick? I have no idea, and I totally want to find out. Like, I'm curious. I'm curious about the character. They they play her off in um, Order of the Phoenix as if she's like flirty with Harry, and the very next movie she's married to the werewolf professor. Yeah, Lupin. Yeah, and and just like what what happened there? So obviously I'm missing things. But my point was is that I, I've long thought that this movie series should actually have been a television series. I think they could have pulled off seven seasons with this whole thing, and it yeah. would have been like the most incredibly cool television series ever. Well, it definitely the the problem with having it be a television series though is that you lose a lot of the dynamic range that you get for being in a movie theater and having something made for a large screen. That is true. That so, is true. So, you know, the the effects aren't there, the budget's not there, um and they may not have been able to attract the cast that they were able to attract simply because they're huge blockbusters. So. Well, that that is true. I just would have liked to have seen a very deep exploration into the world. And I see why people love this series. Read the books. Yeah. <laughs> so what, let's break it down into sections. Let's start off with the story. What do you guys think of the story for this one? Um, I, I liked it. I, I felt the only thing that I missed was the main character, and that, quite honestly, was Hogwarts. Yeah. Mm. And, and it's interesting because uh, throughout the whole movie, I was sitting there thinking – they're not in school. <laughs> like, this is weird. They're always in school. Are they completely missing a year here? It didn't seem right. I think it makes sense to me, though, that it would be like that one. Because, oh, and by the way, if you haven't seen the Harry Potter movies or you're worried about spoilers, um, we're going to go ahead and just take the spoiler. We're, we'll be careful here as much as we can, but we're going to pretty much pull the spoiler warning up right now and just say, yeah, you may have things ruined for you in previous movies for sure, and in this one possibly. We're going to be try to be careful, but... It could happen. So in the, at the end of the last movie, things are so dark and so screwed up, Snape killing Dumbledore, 
that you know they they run right into this ver- or this movie, and of course they're everything is going to be in turmoil. I mean, it's like the magical world is upset. They've just basically had a coup d'état, basically, yeah, right? Yeah, they've killed like the guardian, basically, of anything that was good in their world uh, by killing off Dumbledore, and it it's like the pillars of heaven have been shaken, and now everything's falling. In the books, is Dumbledore the highest powered good wizard that there is out there it it was hard for me to believe even when i saw the series that as headmaster of hogwarts there wasn't somebody say in the ministry of magic or something that was above him or stronger than him or something like that well above him politically speaking yes but i think morally speaking and for being you know like the pillar of all good he was probably the top. I, I kind of like this one too. This the whole movie sort of surprised me. Uh, the, this first part of Deathly Hallows because it was kind of a post-apocalyptic movie. It was so different in tone than the rest of those movies. Like the innocence of the Harry Potter movies left it at the very end of Goblet of Fire, and it mm-hmm. never really came back no. after that. There were there were dribs and drabs of it. I remember like the character of Nigel in Order of the Phoenix was kind of cute, and there was the whole thing with Neville and Luna Lovegood and stuff, and that was cool. But the the wonderment is now gone completely. It is a very serious thriller war movie post-apocalyptic kind of thing they're not, now. They're not little kids anymore, you know, and this is this is the big time. And so they really, they're facing literally all of their demons. Let's talk about the characters in this movie. Harry Potter is my favorite. Um, <laughs> sorry, but uh, he's always going to be. He could be in the movie for five minutes and I would still find him the most appealing character in the whole cast. Why is that? Because uh, he's played by Daniel Radcliffe, and I'm a huge fan. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone doesn't remember, has listened to other Tamarcast show. Claire was uh, one of the girls along with Jen here who was talking about the Twilight movie, mm-hmm. and so uh, t- you know, oh Daniel Radcliffe, oh what's his name, Twilight big hair guy, Edward. Edward. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of miss some of the characters that they didn't feature a lot in this. So uh, they showed Neville. Mm-hmm. Yes. But just barely. Barely. Yeah. And I don't know if he plays a bigger part in the books or if he's going to show up later, but the way they made Neville in Order of the Phoenix, he was turning into like a pretty major character. And then he kind of fell off the map in the last one a little bit, and now he's just pretty much gone. And mm. same thing with Luna Lovegood. I missed her, too. She was there oh so briefly, and all the th- – you know, I thought they were going to make her like this awesome new character – and no, yeah, they didn't really. do as much with either one of them. And surprisingly enough, even though his presence is is felt and he is in there a little bit, uh, Snape is not in it. Uh, oh, Professor McGonagall's not in it at all. Yeah, that, uh, so that see... was Maggie Smith. What did, is she? Is she okay? Like, did she die or something? Not that I'm aware of, but no, I don't think she had that much to do with this particular book. They're either. not at school. Remember that part. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so what I want to understand is the school obviously was open though, because they showed the kids on the train yep. going to school. Yep. So Harry Potter and Hermione and um, Ron Weasley were not going, but the other kids were apparently. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's I guess they just because they weren't at the school, they didn't show the other professors. Right. Huh. Yeah. And they also really didn't show the Dursleys. At all, yeah, and that was kind of disappointing because the very beginning of reading Deathly Hallows, I was very taken by his cousin Dudley, who all of a sudden you finally see a good side of him. He's understanding that Harry's trying to protect him and his family, and you don't see that at all in the movie. And I was very disappointed by that. Huh. Is that was was that because of the events with the um, um, soul sucking guys? At the beginning of the last movie? I, I believe that was, you know, one more thing that was starting to lead him to believe that Harry was actually good and not a pain. Okay, because it was kind of weird that in, in this one they show a very brief scene 
where Harry's sort of adoptive muggle human parents, the Dursleys, are leaving. And, um, you know, there, there's no, like, usually they're berating him and they're yelling at him and they're all freaked out about, you know, what he, what he means to their life. This time they're, like, look, legitimately freaked out and they're sort of just malleable. Like, okay, we're going to get in the car and leave. Well, and- that's because that's because the ministry is cracking down on muggles in general. And if you notice that shortly before that scene, like almost right before that scene, they have the newspaper clipping talking about the muggle family that has been killed. Basically, they've got anybody that's associated with muggles is trying to, to, for the sake of keeping those people alive, if they care about them, they're trying to cut off ties so that these, you know, these people don't die. Well, there's a really strong allusion to fascist states in this one mm-hmm. um the nazis to some extent there was there's some interesting things where um you, you replace muggles with the jews from that time period and say the world war ii era and you almost have the same thing like yeah. the ministry of magic has turned into this like fascist dictatorship kind of thing and it's more than just they want control of the magical world they want control of the planet and they want the muggles gone. They want them dead. Mm-hmm. And there was a scene in the beginning of the movie where they've got like a, a muggle woman kind of hanging in midair and she's being tortured kind of thing. And then they kill her. And it's like, man, there's... Well, that's actually not a muggle woman. And she was She wasn't? I thought she, she was. No, no she, she was They don't professor. make that very clear in the movie. She's a professor. Oh. And that's why she was begging for Snape to save her. But yes. she was... But she's they said... She's a professor it, of, of muggle, muggle studies. studies. Oh, and they, they said that she yes. was like some filthy person for trying to teach that they should like mate together and yes. things like that. And, okay. She was trying... Basically, she was teaching the children tolerance she was a she was a jewish sympathizer yes Yes. see i okay so i i gotta ask and i'm wondering jk rowling when she wrote these books is all this stuff in the book this this slide towards fascism of the the magical set it's been a while since i've read the book i guess when i read it i wasn't thinking other than just living in the moment so i didn't look at it from a different angle but going back and reading it i guess i might be able to see that i just wonder how much why she chose to go this direction and what parallels she was seeking to emulate why it why it did this it's interesting though it was a really interesting subtext that i didn't notice well we started noticing it in order of the phoenix for sure Mm -hmm. and it was more heavily played there than it was in um half-blood prince half-blood prince for me uh, i should just say it now was my is my least favorite of the harry potter movies um, I just thought it was really morose and meandering and didn't have a good through line and it, it was it was underserved. But Order of the Phoenix, I think, may still be one of my favorites. That movie had a really big, like you saw the rise of the Ministry as being, at, at the very least, a very heavy bureaucratic state. Right, and stuff but, like that. but with the Half-Blood Prince, that's the movie that helped to set up what's happening now. All of the stuff with Tom Riddle, Voldemort, all, you know, the Horcruxes, all of those things got set up in that movie. And so it was – it may not have been the ultimate, like, you know, super adventure for you, but it's the thing that brought all of this stuff into And you place. liked Half-Blood Prince, I right? did like – yes, I did. We just actually went through – Jen and I and watched all of the Harry Potter series all over again mm-hmm. from, from beginning to end. Yeah. And I still felt that Half-Blood Prince was the weakest of the, the bunch, followed only by Chamber of Secrets, which I didn't like much either. But the rest of them are fantastic movies. No, I'm in agreement with Half-Blood Prince, though. I, that was the weakest, and I've heard cast members from the movie say the same thing. This movie is kind of, I think it's got some of the better character moments of the uh, of the series. I really like the scene where they Harry and Hermione go to his parents' old village or town, mm-hmm. and there's the whole scene where they're at his parents' grave, and um, it just seemed like there was a lot of really quiet 
very adult kind of stuff going on in the movie character beats that just have have been evolving toward this but didn't reach this intensity. I thought it was pretty cool. And they're um so the kids are always on the run this time. Uh they're going from place to place trying to survive basically and there was uh what I thought was a pretty interesting turn that I wouldn't have expected with Harry and Hermione actually where there's like a romantic subtext there going on or just the fact that they're cooped up in a in a tent for like months on end kind I, of thing. I disagree. I don't think it was uh, romantic at all. I think that it was two good friends who really cared about one another, who could see that they're depending upon each other and trying to get through this whole ordeal. And it's very difficult. And like the one particular scene I'm thinking of, that the I dance. think with the dance, there was nothing romantic about that at all. They were just friends. Really? And, yeah. Yes. You guys think and that? Yeah. Because dance is uplifting. And he could see how depressed she was. He could see. But the that... end of it. The end of it when they had that sort of typical, like, longing look. And then she breaks it up and takes, like, three or four steps back. No, she hugs him. No, she moved back. As soon as there was that look, she pulls away from him and she steps back. And then he leaves the tent. No, I saw it as, you know, they are two people who only had each other to lean on and to get through this very, very difficult, no light at the end of the tunnel moment in the in the movie, the dance kind of broke up the sadness and the depression that Hermione mm-hmm. was going through. Once the dance was over, I saw her looking at him as like, you know, thanks, but that's not going to be enough to make me feel any better. And she went back into her depression again. Hmm. What did you guys think about the, uh, there, there was a scene... Uh, near the end of the movie where they have one of the Horcruxes, they bash the thing open, and out comes a portion of Voldemort's spirit, and basically it starts um, trying to confuse and tempt Ron to not destroy the Horcrux, basically. And one Mm -hmm. of the things that's pretty pivotal in that scene is that he's trying to... The spirit of Voldemort's trying to make Ron feel worthless and probably turn against his friends, specifically Harry, and saying that, you know, like, he's worthless and everybody thinks he's worthless, and he hears the voices of his friends saying this stuff, and most specifically, he sees Hermione and Harry basically naked, but covered up with CGI fog to cover all the naughty bits kind of thing. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's, for the Harry Potter movies, I was like, holy crap, this is risque as hell. Again, they're not little kids anymore. (laughs) <laughs> the the uh, little the little children have left the building. It has definitely got a, a much more adult theme, but that to me is actually I think a really good uh, scene for Ron because it's something where it, it actually shows the transition that he's making and the growth that his character is achieving and the confidence that he's starting to get because he's always kind of been the comic relief. You know, he's always been kind of the goofy, funny guy, um, the sidekick. And he's he's kind of he's got to come into his own. He's I mean he's the sidekick to everybody. He's always a little bit lesser. His brothers are better wizards than he is. His sister, his younger sister, is better than he is. Hermione's better than he is. Uh, Harry's you know Harry Potter yeah. And yeah, so yeah. who's Ron? And so now Ron is like looking at this and he's like, no, I'm done, no more. And he goes and he takes care of it. Let's talk about effects, special effects. Uh, for this movie what uh what stands out in your mind what did you like what didn't you like i loved the improvement on dobby and creature great agreed agreed 100 percent. with you too yeah dobby was the house elf in um chamber of secrets and uh, that to me dobby was always the jar jar binks of the harry potter series in fact i i hated it and that's one of the reasons i don't like chamber of secrets was that whole character and that little 
childish nonsense. And it's interesting because Sorcerer's Stone, the very first movie, Mm -hmm. clearly a kid's film. Mm -hmm. I mean, it even acts like a kid's film, but it's not childish and goofy for the most part. But the addition of Dobby, whether he's in the books or not, the way he played off in the movies to me just was like, what What are you guys doing with this? I, you know, I'm not going to keep going to the series if it goes in this direction. But in this movie, they rectified everything they had done wrong with with that. Um, I, you know, when they first had Creature in uh, Order of the Phoenix, I was like, oh god, here's one of these stupid elves again. But they handled him really good. And so when they brought Dobby back in this one, I was like, oh, wow, you guys did a good job here. Well, they originally weren't going to put Creature in the movie. They weren't going to? No. Why? They didn't think that he was a pivotal character, but J.K. Rowling was still manufacturing her final book. And without giving away the book, she told them that Dob- or that uh, Creature had to be included in the movie because he became more important later down the road. Mm. Oh, okay, makes sense. They did with both of the little elves what they did with Yoda from the first phantom menace movie to attack of the clones they is a giant leap forward in special effects for those little guys yeah but i'll i'll tell you this and this is just my own opinion i think um what they did for the elves in this particular movie enhanced them and made them so much more realistic they they had texture they had dimension i was like wow that's a real thing right there yeah um and actually making yoda cgi Killed it for me. I was so oh, you like, the Muppet? I, oh, I wanted the Muppet back. I like the puppet a lot better than the CGI. I never, when he's first introduced, I loved him as the puppet. And then when they made him CGI, he was a cartoon to me from that point on. You know, they actually, in the CGI for Yoda, they actually introduced a little ear wobble because the Muppet's ears would shake because they were imperfect. And they put it in the CGI to emulate the Muppet because everybody loved the Muppet. I, but I digress. I, I guess I agree with you. <laughs> talk about just general film craft everything from cinematography to the lighting to the editing to the makeup what stands out there uh, the locations yeah, yeah. the locations the, were gorgeous for the, for the first time it hogwarts wasn't part of the film and so they had a huge role to fill in that missing piece and i think they did fantastic with the different locations that they searched for the horcruxes yeah it was beautiful but there was still and i think this was on purpose there is still a very cold empty feeling Mm -hmm. to everything Mm -hmm. and if you noticed pretty much the whole thing was cold it was beautiful scenery but it wasn't lush it wasn't warm and inviting you know when they're in the woods it's late in the year the leaves are on the ground the trees are bare and it's just it's not this beautiful green lush meadow that they're in it's they're on a cliff and it's rocks it's just cold it's interesting to me because david yates is a um really good like character director he does character driven moody pieces Mm -hmm. that's what he does and he doesn't do these big special effects movies except for his harry potter movies and it's interesting to note that i think that before order of the phoenix with maybe the one exception of the giant cool wand battle at the end of order order of the phoenix there's been less and less effects in these movies as they go on the wand battles aren't like super cool anymore like they were now they're just like little like flashes and like gunfire kind of thing and then something explodes i'm not sure if he's giving that direction to tone it back or what but as a director, he chooses things that are very, very moody and, and character and story driven and much less so effects. He's not a big like, let's let's carry a movie up to the the end third and then have a giant effect sequence. He does all his stuff and character stuff, even going so far as to like pulling deaths of major characters, which I'll talk about in a minute, off of screen. You don't even bother seeing them. So I wonder if it's his choice to do that or not. I, I just don't know. 
music and sound. So this uh, score for this movie was done by... Alexandre Desplats. Thank you, my French-speaking co-host. Uh, he was responsible for a couple recent movies, New Moon, which mm. should excite all of you, <laughs> and uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button is another one that he did. Okay. I've got a score uh, by him called Largo Winch, which is actually pretty good. Never seen the movie, but the score is great. Actually, this is the first Harry Potter movie he's done, and I actually really like it. I thought he did a good job with it. It was... It was just like the movie. It was dark and brooding and morose, but there were a couple good moments in it. Um, the end credits were great. The stuff they did in the um, Ministry of Magic uh, was great when they were down there. not always a huge soundtrack person i usually notice the soundtrack when it's more like regular songs so i'm really bad with uh i I try to actually now in talking to you as much as i do about soundtrack stuff i do try to make the effort to really notice it and i would say that probably in this one i think it just enhanced all of the feelings that visually they were trying to create to to bring the story into Yeah, life. I really love that scene in the Ministry of Magic where they had that Kenny Loggins song, Highway <laughs> to the Broomstick Zone. <laughs> Highway to the Broomstick Zone. Nice. That was the best part, the whole music. Absolutely. I'm going to buy that tomorrow on <laughs> iTunes. Uh, on LP. <laughs> on LP. <laughs> <laughs> I got it on cassette tape, dude. It's awesome. All right, let's go around. What do, what do you guys think? Favorite scene of the entire movie? When they tell the story of the three brothers... It's oh, like animation. a little mini anime yeah. in the middle of the movie, and I I, it was really cool the way they did it. I agree. You learned a lot from it as far as, you know, things that were pertinent to the Harry Potter storyline, and then in and of itself, it was a cool little story. And it was the fact that they took they took a choice, which I thought was fairly bold, and they'd used animation. Mm-hmm. They've never used animation before in the series, and they could have just told that with actors and effects. Yeah. But I th- I thought it like was actually a really cool thing that they did it with animation. And it was a cool kind of animation. It was neat looking. Uh, favorite scene for me, probably uh, Bellatrix. Bellatrix Lestrange when she is attacking Hermione. And Harry and Ron are both in a dungeon and can't help her. And Hermione is screaming. And I just think Bellatrix is one of the most awesome evil characters out there. Yeah, she is. I agree with you on that one for sure. M- mine was... Really clearly, it's a follow-on to what you said, Jen. It's when the polyjuice potion that they took that changed their appearance in the Ministry of Magic wears off, and the elevator opens, and everybody realizes that it's them. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was that was when I knew I really enjoyed the movie, because I'm sitting there in my seat while everyone in the Ministry is looking at them, and there's, like, wanted posters all over the place. And, like, the biggest heavy hitters of, like, Voldemort's army are sitting there in the Ministry, and they're going to come after these kids, and they're just surrounded by hundreds of people, and I'm going, get out. Get out. Get out. Get out. Run now. Go. What what are you waiting for? Run. Don't open the door. Well, then there's this great scene in in both editing and pacing where they're running, trying to get to one of the fireplaces. And I don't know who this guy was, but he was some new guy. He was like on Voldemort's staff or something. He was the head of security. He was wicked looking. 
blonde ponytail. He, mm-hmm. he kind of looked like uh, he kind of looked like the guy from Karate Kid who was the dojo runner of Cobra Kai, <laughs> but with like a with oh, like a ponytail. Yeah, yeah, and I mean he was badass looking chasing him, and I was like, I dude, I'd be totally scared of that guy. And I was, because I was like, get out, get out. <laughs> My feet were like hitting the thing. Anyway, so what's your uh, what's your least favorite scene in the movie? I'll start off with mine, you guys think about okay. it. My least favorite scene in the whole movie was, and I'm going to spoil you here, Mad-Eye Moody dies, and they don't show it. Mad-Eye Moody, to me, when introduced into the series, was portrayed from a guy who doesn't read the books as being this badass horror. So he's like a dark wizard hunter. So he's a badass. Like, he's a tough guy. Like, he's a guy that you want to see go out in a blaze of glory. He's like the uh, Sam Jackson character in the new Star Wars movies. Like, you want to see him go out not like a punk, but you want to see him, like, fight his way out. He's he's a big character, and they don't show it. They just say, ah, he's dead. I'm like, what? For real? He's dead? That's it? We don't even see it? We don't see him fight? We don't see him do anything? He just He's dead? Sucked. Worst part of the movie right there. I still... I don't know. There's this part of me that wonders if he's coming back. I don't Jen's know. Jen's convinced. But I'll take the inaction <laughs> of Claire, the blank stare to say he's dead. <laughs> um, I don't think I had a least favorite part in the movie. <laughs> She's like, I like all it's of it. It's that good. Yeah, I really, there was nothing that dragged for me. I think probably one of the best things that they've been doing the last couple of films is putting some comedic relief in, other than Ron. There was a lot of funny moments in this movie, and it it was really, it was it was uplifting to kind of give you some hope and some spirit that there was something brighter on the horizon, even with all the bad stuff going on with them. All right, so wrapping it up then for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. When, when does Part 2 come out next? July. God, they're making you wait like eight months for that movie? The nerve of these people. I want it on TV next Friday. (laughs) (laughs) So do you guys, would you recommend you see it in the theaters or wait for the rental? Claire? Uh, Definitely theater and preferably D-Box. Explain D-Box because we went to that. That was interesting. uh, D-Box are very huge comfy chairs that are on hydraulic lifts. And in pertinent scenes to the movie, you sway back and forth and has shakes and rumbles and you feel like you are a part of the scene. It's like Harry Potter the ride, almost. <laughs> I actually ended up turning my, my seat down. You can change the intensity level. I turned it down after a while because I got so sucked up in the movie, it it, be, it began to distract me. But all, overall, I liked it. I would have loved to have seen D-Box, Real D, 3D, Avatar. That would have killed me. I would have loved that. <laughs> Anyways, Jen, uh, see it in the theaters or wait for the rental. Oh, no, definitely see it in the theaters. Absolutely. Yeah, I say say it in the theaters, too, on the biggest and best screen you can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's give this movie a rating. One out of five. Claire, just so you know, one is like the worst movie you've ever seen. Five is an absolute classic of the genre. Nothing else better, really. It's in your top favorite movies of all time. So somewhere in that spectrum. Uh, honestly, I would give it a four. It's not the best, but it's definitely way up there. I'm going to go... Three five, really? Yeah, three five, maybe three seven five. And I say that because it's probably not my favorite of even the Harry Potter films. I am hoping that this movie that comes out in July is just going to go bam and just kill everybody, you know, and just be like blow you out of your seats. But this didn't blow me away. It was good. It was entertaining. It was informative. And I think that when they ended it they ended it at the perfect spot so that it really leaves you it's a total cliffhanger you're like come on but it was just okay uh i'm gonna go for a very solid four i thought this was the empire strikes back of the harry potter movies very oh, very no good way. and i'm really hoping that the uh, next movie is going to be the total return to the king of the harry potter movies <laughs> 
so since it's a Harry Potter review show, we thought we'd talk about Harry Potter since we have Claire here. And Claire, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and Harry Potter and why you're actually with us on the show today. You love Harry Potter. Love Harry Potter. Um, I was totally sucked in from the moment I started reading the book. Prefer the books, but I do love the movies, definitely. Came in costume to the movie. I did. As the robe. Yeah. I have the robe. I've got the Monster Book of Monsters. We have a wand, the glasses, the whole yeah. nine yards. Super Harry Potter geek. That's cool. All right, so Harry, the, just want to talk about the Harry Potter film series in general. Just go a little roundtable thing here. So how do you guys think that or feel that the Harry Potter series stack up against other major sci-fi or fantasy series like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, etc. How does it stack up against the the greats? Oh, boy, uh, it I think it holds its own, but it's it can't be compared side by side. It's a whole a whole different world and a whole different cast of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Lord of the Rings is definitely way up there, and I think Harry Potter is too, but on its own level. Yeah, I think it definitely is something that can compete. Star Wars is something that. It, you have a it's its own genre almost as far as the the science fiction goes people that like star wars are not necessarily going to like harry potter or lord of the rings but they might like things like star trek it's supposed to be a long time ago in a galaxy far far away but it still has that modern tinge of technology and whatnot to it um whereas things like lord of the rings uh, it's obviously something that's set back in some mythological time that, you know, who knows if it ever happened kind of thing. And then Harry Potter is... No, it happened. <laughs> okay. It happened. They, they found artifacts. It happened. Oh, yeah. Wow. All right. <laughs> no, it's real. Right. You don't understand. It's right. real. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and then Harry Potter is interesting because it takes a subject matter, which is comes from the time of Camelot, basically, you know, with wizards and witches and, and magic and uh, and brings it to today you know, plops it down in the middle of modern day London and says, here you go, people. Do you believe it or not? They are, but they all have the same basic plot, good versus evil. And that is a popular plot. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, well, I think isn't isn't good versus evil one of the main archetypical plots yeah. or stories <laughs> of our species? Yeah, <laughs> generally. Yeah. I've been waiting for years to make a decision as to whether I thought the Harry Potter series was going to become that next classic sort of sci-fi fantasy series saga. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure at first. I didn't know I didn't know if it was going to go that way. I didn't know if it was going to suddenly like stumble and falter and be a piece of crap and that kind of thing cuz sometimes these things do. Matrix trilogy, I'm looking at you. But I think it is. I think the Harry Potter series for me is right up there with Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. I think it's right there. I think it's proving itself and and this movie, the new movie, The Deathly Hallows was so good. Considering the fact they all shot this stuff at once, it's the same director, the same cast and crew, I don't know how the second movie is going to suck. And I have so much faith in J.K. Rowling as a writer to craft a good story that I think the end is going to be awesome. And I've never heard anyone who's read the books, and I have remained spoiler-free on the ending of it for forever. I still don't know what's going to happen. And and I'm glad that I don't. Mm -hmm. And everyone who's read it... Don't say anything. (laughs) Yeah, everyone who's read it loves it. But I, I think, yeah, I think it stands its own now, after all these years. So how well do you think the Harry Potter series has adapted itself to film from the books? And I guess, Claire, you're probably best suited to answer this. I am certainly not. Have you, Jen, read much? I haven't read all of them, no. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, from the very beginning, it did very well as the movies progressed. Uh, Less of the books 
were included in the movie. I mean, it's enough to get the movie through from beginning to end, and you get a general idea of what's going on, but you really miss some of the integral parts, integral characters and scenes that I think as we were reading the books, we couldn't wait to see how they produced it on film, and we never got that opportunity to see it. I think that in general, I think as a rule almost, um, books are better than movies. I've never seen a film that was made from a book that was better than the book. I think of your reaction to Jurassic Park in 1993. Oh, my gosh. And the giant argument. I was so so mad. Jen and I were friends way back in almost 20 years ago now, in 93 or so, and we went to see the original Jurassic Park in the Mm -hmm. theater, and I remember having a big argument coming out of that, Mm because I had read the book, too, but I was like, no, I think it was a pretty fair adaptation. I mean, I know the cut stuff. I had just read the book. She was like, oh, this sucks. I literally just read the book, and I was so mad. I was like, are you kidding me? They changed all these characters. They left out entire scenes this was a whole half of the book and they didn't even put it in there <laughs> i was i was mad looking back on it now i like the movie but i had literally finished the book like two days before the premiere <laughs> and Claire, so everything was fresh do you feel that they um that they at least captured the general essence and through line of all those stories like for people watching movies that haven't read the books do we at least get a general overview of the story or is there something major we're missing here like major major not minor but it would be like if you watch star wars and in the books they have the battle of hoth but in the movies they don't show the battle of hoth is it are we missing anything that major probably not that major but the introduction of characters in this particular movie, Deathly Hallows Part 1, it's it's leaving people scratching their heads because they have never heard of these people in the previous movies. But if you read the books, you developed an entire relationship with them over the course of several books. Oh, and sense. so it's very, very difficult to just see them thrown on the screen for five minutes and all of a sudden you're supposed to know exactly everything about them and you just can't. See, again, this is why I have said for for a long time that I really think this Harry Potter lends itself well to a TV series. Mm-hmm. And if they could have kept the entire cast and just sort of general crew and whatnot and done this as a TV series, I think it could have been superior. Because I, I think, like, this movie, The Deathly Hallows, was action-wise one of the least I've seen. But character-wise, it was fantastic. And that actually, for these movies, appeals to me almost more than the action stuff. Although, I want them to kick ass at some point. Let's do worst film of the series first. Worst film. Half-Blood Prince, definitely. Um, It seemed slow. It was missing gobs of material. I I just felt like it it was just a bridge to the next movie, but it wasn't substantial at all. I think Chamber of Secrets, it was just kind of so-so for me. I'm torn between Chamber of Secrets and Half-Blood Prince, but I guess I'm going to give it to Half-Blood Prince because I can still remember a few things in Chamber that I that I liked. Okay, best film of the series. Goblet of Fire. Absolutely. Um, I still really like Prisoner of Azkaban, and I also like Order of the Phoenix. Those are two of my favorites. I have a hard time picking between Goblet of Fire and Order of Phoenix, honestly. Best actor or actress of the series. Uh, well, let me guess. Just take a wild guess. Uh, (laughs) Daniel Radcliffe. Um, (laughs) no, he's, he's fantastic. He has been Harry from the very, very, very get go. And he's never let that go since. I don't know who the actress is, but the woman that plays Dolores Umbridge, I think is a fantastic actress because the woman makes my skin crawl every single time she is on screen. And that takes a lot. I think for somebody to be that consistent and that convincing, 
I have a hard time believing that she's actually <laughs> that person in real life. But honestly, her character is one that just makes me cringe and go crazy. Plus, I love Professor Snape as well. The actor that sticks out the most in my mind, and I was impressed as hell with him the last two movies, was the kid who plays Malfoy. Oh, Tom and the, Felton's awesome. And the reason I think that is because, and it's probably just because his story is written well, but you can see in that actor how he, okay, so his father in the movies, Lucius Malfoy, is like sniveling and a coward, and he's just a dirty bastard that'll knife you in the back the first second he gets. Mm-hmm. I get the impression, through the acting job of the guy who plays Malfoy, that Malfoy actually isn't really a bad guy, wants to be good, but feels like drawn along in a path that he can't seem to figure out how to get off of. And the last movie, the best part of Half-Blood Prince, was watching that actor portray Malfoy going, like, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a part of this. And then, you know, he all he could do is just fight on, because that's all he knows how to. But I thought that was really good. It's like a very tragic role. It's thrust on his shoulders to be the, the savior for his family because his parents were such screw-ups. Uh, most loved character of the entire series. You know what? Neville. Yeah? I love Neville. He is he's this, this quiet nerd, but he is your best friend and would drop everything in a heartbeat to help you out. I think Ron. <laughs> Ron's my guy. I love Ron. He just uh, is always... He's just himself. There's nothing fake about him. He doesn't put on airs for anything. He's he's very in your face as far as like honesty goes, and he's just a goofball. I just like him. I'm torn. I also like Neville quite a bit, but I really like Luna Lovegood. Yeah, and I I, like her I too. always wanted. I I just have a an inkling whether she's like this in the books or not. I don't know. But the movies, the way they portrayed her, was that she was going to become like really interesting and cool as things went on and again they didn't show her at all this movie and i was kind of bummed but i i liked her very best moment of the series most memorable moment of the entire series for you guys oh, what do you got gosh um definitely goblet of fire very best parts when harry had uh had to bring cedric's body back after the um the cup win and he was just absolutely beyond distraught to the point where when he was trying to be helped by the professors he wouldn't let his body go because he was he just felt like he had to protect him and mm-hmm. it was a tearjerker i've never gotten over it i actually really liked also in goblet of fire the entrance uh for the other schools when the other schools come into Hogwarts. Oh, uh, the Bobatin girls. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're Bloody so hell. Lovely. <laughs> I just remember that whole s- sequence and I thought, wow, if I had been one of those kids sitting at one of those tables, I would have been like, who the heck are these people? This is crazy. I would have felt like I was, even if I was the best wizard at Hogwarts, Seeing those guys walk in, I would have been like, wow, I'm a dork, <laughs> no matter what. Uh, the, one of the reasons that Order of the Phoenix is is still like neck and neck for me for the best movies is because of the scene at the end of the movie. You had waited the entire series to see one of the wizards actually cut loose and use magic to its fullest potential. And the fight between Dumbledore and Voldemort at the end of that movie, when Voldemort Mm -hmm. comes out of the fireplace and you you just know it's on, and that fight when they're throwing glass at each other and dragging fire and everything else, I I still think that's one of the best scenes in the whole series. That's like way, way up there, and that's one of the things where it cemented into my mind that this was like a true saga like Star Wars 
and it was totally a sweet series because they did that alone. And and if they don't do that for the end, if I don't see some wicked magic fighting at the end, <laughs> gonna be Harry pissed. better step it up, man, because this little Patronus <laughs> spell thing, and these little like little shooting things, I want to see some like crap flying around and like buildings exploding. Well, he is come the on, chosen one. So and Dumbledore better come back as like. White Dumbledore with the big white <laughs> yeah. robe. You shall not pass. I want to see that, and I want to see like dragons. I'm just saying. Anyways, <laughs> if they decided to, should they make sequels beyond the books in film? If they were going to do it, would you guys be open to that, or would you be like, uh, uh-uh. uh? I I don't see how they could It'd be like Harry Potter in suburbia. Mm, yeah, I don't want to see Harry Potter at forty though. Like, I just don't. <laughs> you, you, you could put it. You could be like, um, like an old fifties sitcom, right? It's like it's Harry Potter in suburbia, <laughs> and Harry's like Harry Potter working at Ministry of Magic. Hello, dear. I'm home. Oh, Harry. So that's Ginny, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah, good to know. And Ron's like the bumbling neighbor. He's like <laughs> bloody hell. He's a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> And Hermione's still always <laughs> yeah. mad at him. <laughs> Dumbledore's like Obi-Wan. He's like beyond the grave. He's trying to hit it with Ginny and like get her the right Valentine's Day present. He keeps effing it up and Ron's got bad ideas and like Dumbledore comes back and he's like, Harry! Is this Harry Potter the sit Harry! Yes, of course. <laughs> um, I would think that if, if J.K. Rowling was involved, I would probably think about it because these these are her babies, you know? I, I would see it, but I don't think it would be well done. Um, I think every one of the actors has pretty much come right out and said that they are glad it's over because it, they've lived this for 10 years, and that's way more than any actor would yeah. ever want to I don't care what character. they want. I don't care what their needs are. <laughs> you know, what about me? Daniel Radcliffe has got to go William Shatner style, man. He's got no oh, life. God, Look, no. he needs to be doing commercials and more Harry Potter. That's all that kid's got in. Maybe he can get like a crappy cop show with like Heather Locklear or Britney Spears or somebody, but that's all he's got. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He's TJ done, Radcliffe. He's done Broadway and he's coming back in the spring and I think he'll be phenomenal. Oh, Broadway. Shatner tried that crap too and he failed. But he was bad. Shatner can only be Captain Kirk and the Priceline guy. <laughs> Harry Potter is Harry Potter. He's not anything else. No. I don't see him in anything else. He's Shatner, Shatner was really good in um, the Sunder Bullock movies. Oh, in that that nine one one show. Nine one one. Rescue nine one one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So that's been the screen for this week. Is there like a, you know, like Star Wars has got the May the Force Be With You and Lord of the Rings has got You Shall Not Pass. Does Harry Potter have like a catchphrase thing of some kind? Um, Is there anything they say a lot? Bloody hell. (laughs) (laughs) Bloody hell. So thanks for joining us. Remember to visit the screen and our other shows, Taverncast and On Tap. All three of them are up at the web at www.taverncast.com. Next week, we'll be back with Captain Kirk and Malcolm X trying to stop a runaway train in Tony Scott's Unstoppable. Buy your tickets early and join us in the front row. The screen is a Snapdragon production and part of the Taverncast family of podcasts. Visit us online at www.taverncast.com.